keep them in mind because at the end I'm going to say a special word on children and how children teach us how to experience God. So keep that picture in mind. So today, as Pastor Brandon said, we are in week three of a series on God providing, called God Provides. So just a refresher, if you've missed a couple weeks or just want to get caught up, our first week we looked at how God provides us with a good creation. And God makes us, you and me, all of humankind, very good in God's image. And provides creation and our bodies with life-giving rhythms that are good day and night, work and rest. And then last week, through the story of Abraham and Isaac, we were shown that God provides by sacrificing for us. God chooses to bless us by sacrificing of his very own self. This has been God's character from the very beginning of time. Now today we're going to see a third way that God provides, and that is God provides his presence. God provides his presence. But before we read our text, I want to ask you a few questions to see if this text might engage your life in a very specific way. So first I want to ask you, do you crave to have a personal encounter with God? Have you maybe ever read the scriptures and thought, man, I wish I could have that kind of experience of God showing up to me, of God speaking to me, of God making his promises known and his presence known to me intimately? Have you ever thought that for yourself? Yeah, I have. Or maybe today you you have been blessed with those kind of experiences, that kind of relationship, But maybe you know someone who doesn't or hasn't had those experiences. Maybe a child or a grandchild or a co-worker or a friend. And you think, if only they could experience God like I have, like these biblical stories, then maybe they would believe. Then maybe their lives would change. How many of you have had that kind of desire for the loved ones in your life? Yeah. Well, I'm here to tell you good news this morning. Whether you crave a desire for more of God in your personal life or for your loved ones around you, the good news is God craves to give you the desires of your heart. In this desire to experience God personally, it is the absolute greatest desire a person can have. And it's the greatest desire because it has been placed within us by God himself. Because, friends, God wants to be known by you, by me, by all people. So God places this desire within us. Perhaps you, like me, have maybe tried to rationalize away this burning desire within us to have real, vivid encounters with God Perhaps you've rationalized it away thinking, well, God only showed up to people like that in biblical times. God doesn't do that now. Or maybe you've thought God only speaks to those super Christians, like those monks or those nuns who get to live their whole lives in monasteries and these majestic cathedrals. God only shows up there. But friends, these rationalizations are false. The God we learn about through scripture, the God most fully revealed in Jesus Christ, is a God who loves to make himself known. He is a God who loves to show up, to speak to us, 
just as we are, just where we are. The Bible even reveals that God loves to show up to very unexpected people in very unexpected places. And our text today is a witness of that. It's a story of God showing up not to a saint, but to a total rascal from a totally dysfunctional family. And God shows up to this rascal named Jacob, not in a perfect, beautiful temple, and not even because Jacob is looking for God, because he's not. Rather, God shows up to Jacob in the middle of nowhere when Jacob is running for his life. That's a snapshot. Now we're just going to read the story, let it speak for itself. We start in Genesis 27, if you want to turn there in your pew Bibles or the Bibles you've brought along. But as you turn there to Genesis 27, I want to connect some dots from last week. So if you were here last week, we heard the story of Abraham and his son Isaac, whom was almost sacrificed. So now in this story, Isaac, the boy, has grown up into a very old man. He's married, has two sons of his own, Esau and Isaac. And Isaac is now very old, and he's on his deathbed. And now we get to see his relationship with his own children. So before we read, let us pray. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ our single concern. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord, starting in Genesis 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, He called his elder son Esau and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, see, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Then prepare for me savory food such as I like and bring it to me so that I may bless you before I die. We're going to skip now down to verse 15. Then Rebekah, the mother, Isaac's wife, took the best garments of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house while Esau was away hunting, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. And she put the skins of the kids on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the savory food and the bread that she had prepared to her son, Jacob, while Esau is away. So so Jacob, he goes into his father and says, Father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, Jacob says, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Remember, Isaac can't see. 
So he's tricked. Now I'm going to summarize a little bit of what happens next. The elder brother's elder brother Esau comes home. He finds out this trickery that Jacob has done, that, that Jacob has tricked his father out of his blessing. And Esau, the elder brother, he is ticked. In fact, he's so ticked that he decides to kill his little brother. But their mother, Rebecca, who favors the little brother Jacob, she connives a plan for Jacob to flee for his life. That's where we pick up Genesis 28, verse 10. So Jacob, he left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the very gate of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. What a fascinating story. Is this not? This morning, I invite us to respond together to this story through a a beautiful reflection I found written about this story. So turn in your bulletins, if you will, to the middle of the sermon notes. We're going to be referencing these a lot today, so keep this out in handy. So I invite you to, f- to read along silently, and I'm going to read together this reflection that I think summarizes well some of our emotions to this story. So hear this reflection. What a family. A favored child, a conniving mother, an invalid father, and the hardworking, obedient son. That's Esau. What a tale. Jealousy, greed, trickery, and justice. The stuff of melodrama. And this is God's word, you say? Why, yes. Because in the midst we find God's grace. Dreams are dreamt. Eyes are open. A heart is one. What a family. What a tale. What a God. Amen? What a God is right. What a God of grace. So now we're going to reflect on this story and looking at two things in particular. Who receives this presence of God, these promises from God, and where this person is when he receives this promise. So first, let's look at the main character, Jacob. 
So can we just name the obvious at the beginning? Jacob is not a, a standing exemplar for us, for our lives. Is he not? I hope not. Okay, Jacob, this main character in the story, he is a total rascal. He's a deceiver, a liar. He deceives his father on his father's very deathbed. And this isn't the first time he's done it. He already did this once before. He tricked his father out of Esau's birthright. So Esau, he's supposed to get the birthright and the blessing. Those were kind of supposed to be his as the firstborn. And this is where you would get all of your livelihood. And Jacob steals it, steals both of them from Esau. It's no wonder that Esau is really ticked. And it's not just Jacob who is the rascal. He comes from an entire family that is completely dysfunctional. I took a class in college called Helping Troubled Families, and we used this family as the example of all the different dysfunctions you can have in a family. So they're kind of really messy. The parents are picking favorites. The mother is lying to her husband, telling her son to lie. It's really messy. So what do we get from this? Well, friends... Have you ever thought that God wouldn't show up to you because you're not worthy of it? If you've ever thought that, well, remember Jacob's story. Jacob appears to Jacob. To Jacob, this totally rascally, deceiving young man, he shows up to Jacob. Maybe you've thought, well, God isn't going to show up to me because I don't come from one of those picture-perfect families that grew up in church their whole lives and etc., etc. Well, God shows up to Jacob, a family that has dysfunctions coming out of its ears. It is just a really messy family. God shows up to Jacob. And here's an added zinger. Jacob isn't even looking for the Lord In fact, at this point in his life, Jacob doesn't even call the Lord his God. Did you hear it in the text? He said, the Lord, your God, granted it to me. And then if we skip down a few verses to verse 20, we see that Jacob says, he makes a vow to God saying, if God will be with me, will keep me in the way that I go, will give me bread and clothing to eat so that I come again to my father's house in place. Basically, God, if you give me everything I want then the Lord shall be my God. Then the Lord shall be my God. At this point, the Lord isn't Jacob's God. The Lord is his father's God, his grandfather's God, but not his. Not at this point, anyway. I wonder, do any of you have kids or grandkids like Jacob? And you've worried about them? You've been anxious about them. You pray for them. Any of you here relate with that? Are any of you here like Jacob? Maybe your parents or grandparents profess God as Lord, but you're not so sure. You're not so sure. You wouldn't call him your Lord yet. Are you like Jacob? Well, if so, this story is really good news. Because God shows up even to Jacob, even to this young man who's not even looking for God, even when Jacob hasn't shown up for church on Sunday. We'll get to that point later. But remember this, God has amazing ways of showing up to people. 
amazing ways of showing up to people, and we can take heart in that. So the point now is that God can and does show up to all sorts of people, even when they might not seem deserving of it. And that gives us great hope. And not only does God show up to Jacob, but God comes bearing really good news. He promises him his presence and even the blessings of land and descendants and safety. God shows up to Jacob, not first with a lecture or chastisement, though God does do that sometimes, and we need that too. But here... God first shows up bearing news of hope and promise. This is really good news. Friends, it means that we don't have to earn our way into God's presence and promises. Jacob hasn't earned his way. We don't have to climb our way to God. This ladder appears, but God isn't up here saying, here's the ladder, now climb up it and get to me. Rather, did you hear it? God appears beside him. Jacob doesn't have to climb. God comes down. God comes down to Jacob, meets him where he is, even when he doesn't deserve it. And I don't know about you, but that makes me really grateful. Because I, in many times of my life, am like Jacob. So many times God has revealed God's self to me, has provided for me, has been present with me, even when I've been a total rascal. Not because of what I've done, but purely because God loves to make himself known. And God loves to pour out his grace. Can any of you here relate to that? Well, Jacob's story, it also personally makes me grateful that I can have hope for my loved ones who don't yet proclaim Lord as their God. Maybe you have situations like this. There are people in my life that I care about deeply that I have invited to church for decades. And I'm not that old. (laughs) So if they're not even going to listen to an invitation from a 10-year-old, I don't know who is. But I don't give up hope. Even if they turn down all my invitations, if they shut down all of my conversations about God, I can continue to pray for them to show up like God showed up to Jacob. Because sometimes God can speak to people in ways that are completely out of our control, like in dreams or in wilderness places when they're completely alone. Friends, we can have hope in this. We do continue inviting them to church. We do continue having conversations with them. But even when they're not responsive, we continue to pray because God has ways of showing up that are out of our control. And that is good news, is it not? So God can make himself known to all sorts of people, like Jacob, in all sorts of ways, like a dream, and in all sorts of places. So far, we've focused on the all sorts of people, but now I'm going to look at where God can make himself known, and that is in all sorts of places. So notice where Jacob is when God appears. He's in the middle of nowhere. This is, this is a nowhere place. He's not in one location or the other. He's on his way all alone in the middle of nowhere. And this location is actually a really, really big deal. We can skip over it, but it's a big deal. 
especially in Jacob's day, because you see back then there was this understanding that the gods lived up here in heaven and humans here on earth. And in order for you ever to communicate with God, you had to go to a temple. And there at the temple, there were these stairways set up that were called ziggurats. It's kind of fun to say. You want to say it? Ziggurats. Yeah. So there's these ziggurats. So these are these special stairways that are set up at the temple towers. And divine beings like angels or sometimes priests, they would go up and down, these stairways up and down, and they would transport messages between God and humans, God and humans, kind of like a divine postal service, if you will. Is anyone now thinking of that song, Stairway to Heaven? Did that pop in anyone's mind? It's a lot flashier than ziggurats to heaven, right? Well, That song just goes to show that that old way of thinking isn't quite gone from our concept of God today, is it? But what happens in God's story is God completely shatters this way of thinking that God is only up here, distant, we are only down here, and God only ever speaks to us through these special messengers that run up and down the stairs, like um, just really fast, taking these messages back and forth. What happens in Jacob's story, did you hear it? Jacob, he's not even at the temple, which was they, they thought was the only place that you could hear from God. Rather, God drops a ladder from heaven out of nowhere. He's in the middle of nowhere, and this ladder suddenly appears. Who knows if Jacob's ever been to a temple, but God brings the temple to him. God builds a temple stairway for him. Now, it's important to note that Jacob does later build a house of worship in this place. So I'm not saying that houses of worship are not important. We're going to get to that later. So flag that. But even when someone is not going to the temple, God has an ability to drop a ladder anywhere. Second, and this one is the most striking, the angels aren't carrying messages for God. The angels are ascending and descending But it is God who appears beside Jacob, and God speaks directly to Jacob. Friends, this was completely unheard of. People never had real, personal, lifetime encounters with the gods. But this God, this God comes down, and he interacts with a human. This was really earth-shattering news. And friends, this is the God we follow. It is not a God who stays up here distant and uninvolved. It is a God who is with us, who is beside us, who speaks directly to us. And not just when we're in church, but all the time God can speak to us. I invite you to look again in your bulletin from these quotes. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor wrote this book called An Altar in the World, and she has a special chapter um, devoted to this narrative of Jacob that I pulled some really interesting quotes from. And I like this quote, what if God can drop a ladder absolutely anywhere? What if God can drop a ladder absolutely anywhere? At your workplace? in your living room, in your car, in the parking lot, on the ball field? That is, what if God can show up to you in personal ways absolutely anywhere? If we truly believed this, I think we'd be a lot more alert in our everyday experiences, wouldn't we? 
Because who knows, the living God might just show up to you when you're at your desk or when you're driving or when you're eating breakfast. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss that kind of thing. I invite you again to look at this, this next quote from Barbara Brown Taylor. She says, Having woken up to God, Jacob would never be able to go to sleep again, at least not to the divine presence that had promised to be with him, whether he could see it or not. Having woken up to God, he would never be able to go to sleep again, at least not to the divine presence that had promised to be with him, whether he could see it or not. Friends, I pray that we can wake up to God. Because God is present with us even when we don't see it. But God wants to make himself known to open our eyes, to wake us up to God's presence in our lives, to the ways that God is acting and speaking every day, everywhere. If you, like me, have ever thought, why am I not experiencing more of God? The problem probably isn't with God. It's probably with us. Like I talked about two weeks ago, we're too busy. We are too distracted. Those are two of the top problems for spiritual growth in the 21st century, especially for us in the U.S. We are too distracted too busy to notice these very vivid ways God is trying to communicate to us. Maybe sometimes it means putting down that smartphone or turning off that TV or driving a little bit slower so that you can see the beautiful sunset that God has given you that day. I don't know what it is for you, but I know I need to slow down because I know God is trying to speak to me and I'm not always paying attention. So now I invite you to look at this third quote that is listed there. She writes, Earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. Jacob's nowhere, about which he knew nothing, turned out to be the house of God. Friends, as the psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So if God owns and sustains the earth, then it shouldn't surprise us that God can use a lot of things in the earth to speak to us through creation, through the people he has made and sustains. The earth is thick with divine possibility. So let's pay attention. Let's open our eyes to see God around us. Now I want to make a caveat for a moment. Because if I stopped there, there could be a lot of danger in what I just said, especially in our current cultural moment. So in Jacob's day, there was one extreme that you can only experience God when you're at the temple with these messengers going up and down. That's the only way you'll ever experience God. And God shows up and says, no, I'm here. Here I am. But there's an opposite extreme that some have gone to in our culture. Have you heard this? Maybe. Well, I don't need to show up for church because... I experience God walking through the park and looking at a tree, or when I'm fishing, or when I'm water skiing, that's where I worship. Have any, has anyone heard this? Yes, I've heard it a lot. But friends, that while it is true that I hope that you do look for God 
on your walks and while you're water skiing and while you're fishing. And do pray for God to show up to you there because God will show up to you there. There is something very special about what we do here together in worship. Because God promises his special revelation to us here through the word and through the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. So God gives us a general revelation. We've talked about this before. A general revelation through creation, through people around us. But we only get the specific story through scripture. And God promises his specific presence through the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. So it's being here, hearing the word preached, participating in the ordinary sacraments that we can then understand and see God's presence around us. Because the other extreme saying, I'm just going to go off by myself and walk through the woods to worship God, it's, it's one, highly individualistic, and two, to be frank, it's quite arrogant. It's saying that I can perceive everything I need to know about God by myself in just what I'm seeing, and that's not the case. God calls us to community, to understand the scriptures together, to participate in the sacraments together. And God promises his special presence here. So what we do here informs what we do out there. So without what we learn here, it's hard to experience God out there. Does that make sense? Okay, so we don't want to be to either extreme, thinking I only experience God here, but the other extreme, saying I only experience God out there and what is done here is important. We need both. Capiche? Capiche. I don't even know what language that is or where it comes from, but, you know, capiche. All right, well, in light of Jacob's story, I have a few application points to try to address our questions that we had at the very beginning about experiencing God ourselves or for others. So look again in your bulletin. You'll have your bulletin to take home to remember these points, and do do keep this with you throughout the week. So the first one, for experiencing God ourselves, I've said it before, but simply pay attention Pay attention to ordinary things like nature that God has made. Pay attention to people around you, even strangers. Who knows who who God is going to speak through? There's another story in the Old Testament where God speaks through a donkey. So who knows? God can use even donkeys to communicate with you. So pay attention. Be alert. The second one is to talk about your experiences with God. So have you ever had this experience where you thought maybe God was saying something to you or you thought you experienced something, but then you started to question yourself and like, maybe I just had too much coffee this morning or maybe I just need to take a nap. That was, I don't know what that was. Has anyone had that experience or is it just me? Because I have it a lot. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm writing sermons, God, is that you? I have, what was that? Well, check your experiences. Check them first with scripture because that is the divine revelation. And then check it with wise Christians around you who are immersed in the scriptural story. Ask them, I, I, I thought I heard this word or I thought I had this experience. Does that seem to line up with the ways that God usually acts? What do you think? Because, friends, if you're feeling like God is telling you to leave your family and sell all you have and take an extended vacation to Disney World, probably not the word of the Lord. Probably not. But other people can help you figure that out. So seriously, God puts us in communities. Talk about your experiences with God. 
And not only will this help you to experience God, it'll help others to feel free to name God's experiences in their lives too. So those are some tips for our own lives. Pay attention. Talk to others. Now for this question about how we might encourage others around us to experience God, like those kids or grandkids or co-workers who, who like Jacob, don't call God their Lord. So here's a, a, an evangelism tip for adults. Pay attention. Pay attention to the ways that God might already be acting in their lives. Listen to their stories. Pay attention to the ways you see God providing for them, making God's presence known to them, ways that God might be speaking to them, but they yet haven't yet identified that provision as the Lord. Sometimes they just need to have the dots connected. Well, that is actually the Lord who is doing these things. That sounds a lot like Jesus Christ. That sounds a lot like a story that I heard in Scripture. But it requires us paying attention. Because God doesn't just show up to us. God shows up to people who don't even proclaim the Lord as their God as of yet. Because God appears to Jacob, right? So God can speak sometimes in mysterious ways if we can help to name them. Okay, and I promised you we would close with a note on children. So... Do you remember those children up here at first? Okay. Well, did you know that children are masters of experiencing God? They are masters of it. They're especially masters of it in nature. And they have a lot to teach us. But what children need is adults who can affirm and give words to their experiences with God. So I've learned recently that for children who have a vivid experience of God, not just Bible lessons alone, but an experience of God that is named for them, they are somewhere around 70% more likely to have active faith as adults. Isn't that remarkable? If they can somehow experience God. And for these children... Over half of those experiences happen in nature. Isn't that profound? You see, kids, unlike adults, sometimes are really good at being slow. If you have a toddler and you try to walk quickly, it's pretty annoying, eh? Right? They are good at being slow and being curious and picking everything up off the floor and examining every little leaf. Lily does it all the time. It's really annoying to me. But it's teaching me to slow down. And to pay attention. And you know what? God speaks to them through that curiosity, through that slowness, through that openness. God can meet children in very real ways. I heard a story of a little six-year-old on a swing. And she told her mom, Mommy, I think I met Jesus today. What? She said, yeah, when I was swinging, I felt this breeze coming. And you've told me that the Holy Spirit is kind of like like breath and wind. And, and the Holy Spirit met me on the swing. Through the wind. I'm like, yes, yes, thank you. Through the mouth of a six-year-old, God can meet them in profound ways. So what are ways that we can help them name those experiences? Well, tell them stories from the scripture where other people experience God, like this one where God meets Jacob in the wilderness, or where God shows up to Moses in a burning bush, or to Elijah through a still, small voice. All stories that we're covering this fall. 
If they hear these stories of God meeting people in very ordinary places through very ordinary means, they might just make the connection that God might meet me through very ordinary means, like a bush or through a still small voice. Children are really open to that, so encourage that for them. That changed my life. As a 12-year-old, I first experienced God on a lakeshore, and an adult helped to encourage that and explained it to me, too, through biblical stories. So encourage experiences with kids. Well, friends, we are going to close now. But I encourage you, wherever you are today, if you feel close to God or if you feel distant, trust that God wants to make himself known to you. And take heart that God wants to make himself to known to your loved ones. Be at peace, have hope, pay attention, because God is at work. God isn't just up here distant. God is here with us, constantly bridging the gap between heaven and earth. God loves to make himself known to us just as we are, just where we are. God loves to do this. This is good news. Let us pray. God, you come to us where we know and expect you. You also come to us where you are surprising and unexpected. You act in ways we love and seek to follow. You act in ways we struggle to understand. Help us to see you where we expect you and to be surprised by you where we do not expect to find you, but you show up. Help us to follow you even when we struggle to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord...